Hello and welcome to the Anchor Faith Message Podcast. Enjoy this message. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 says it this way, but seek first. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We are in a society today and it's always been this issue, but more so in what we're in today because you can gain access to information so easy that will give you um, a plethora of options that can become a first response for you. Uh, most people, in fact, all of us, probably when it comes to direction, and when I mean direction, I mean direction like I need to go from point A to point B. I need to find a restaurant. I need to find this particular shop. I wonder if this particular store carries this. We immediately say, well, just Google it. We just go after that. We first go there. And when you look at every aspect of our lives, we find ourselves first going to a doctor. They didn't go first to the doctor. There's nothing wrong with the doctor. In fact, you better go to the doctor if when you first went to God hasn't developed a result and it's because you're lacking information. So doctors a lot of times can give you more accurate information a lot of times. Not to tell you every time because they're humans. They can miss it. Okay, that's why you need the Holy Ghost. But you should go to the King of Kings first and then if you're lacking some information, the Lord will direct you. I need you to get a little more specific about some things so that you can target some things more specifically with your confession of faith. You know how to bind some things. I said you'll know how to bind some things. Because a lot of times, uh, I remember praying for someone concerning their shoulder, but it wasn't actually their shoulder. I said when I prayed for their shoulder, I said, now you continue to go to the doctor. Well, when they went to the doctor, come to find out it was actually a pinched nerve. So the source of the discomfort mani uh, was manifesting in the shoulder, but the shoulder wasn't the issue. So a lot of times people come down to be healed for where the manifestation of pain is, but it's not the source. And if you don't get a result after you've been prayed for within a small margin of time, then you need to go looking for some further information to determine there must be a deeper place by which this, where it's manifesting, is originating because I need to get my faith there. Now, again, what we love to do is we love to act like God because, you know, he's God and all-knowing that, honestly, he should just, you know, take care of it at a general prayer. Just generally pray, Lord, I'm healed, and generally he should respond to your generality. Right? Well, can you get born again generally? I said, can you get born again generally? Well, Lord, help me. Well, that's pretty general. Doesn't God know you need help? Doesn't God know that Jesus Christ is your help? Doesn't God know that the blood shed on Calvary's cross that he took up to the mercy seat in heaven and poured it out is the help you need? And that just by saying, God, help me, that's enough? No, it's not. In fact, there's a very specific prayer that he tells you to do, and that is confess Jesus Christ as Lord. You must believe in your heart that he died and that he rose and confess him as Lord of your life. Then it activates salvation. Activates. Cornelius in the book of Acts was seeking God, and God's like, well, you're, you're close, but you can't get to me. So send for a man named Peter. The angel said to him. The angel didn't preach the gospel. The angel said, send for this guy. And that guy showed up and told them exactly what they needed to do. They did that exactly, and salvation showed up in Cornelius' house. So again, we typically want God to respond to us generally when God wants to be intimate with us and will give us absolute detail should we seek first. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, we're in a, we're in a society that there are other options 
that are easier for you to navigate to and it fulfills your five senses. And we are not to be led by our five senses. Our five senses are to get in line with our spirit man. Now, it doesn't mean that our five senses cannot be correct when it's tied to the spirit and should adjust when we follow the spirit. We are not led by sight, but we are led by faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. So if you're not in the word, in fact, the Lord said this to me because I'd heard somebody, um, there was a situation going on with a loved one. And, you know, they said, well, you know, we're believing that they'll get well. And the Lord says they won't get well unless they're doing what's necessary to actually believe. Because we all say, well, I'm just believing God. Okay, but how does belief come? Faith comes by hearing. So if you're not feeding what you need in the time that you're in need, then even if you say you believe, you're really not believing. Because faith comes by hearing, not having heard. So you've got to be in the word. And when I say in, I'm not saying you actually have to flip pages, although you should. I'm saying that it should come up. You should be saying it, speaking it. You should be confessing it. Now, Lord, your word says, now, Lord, you said this. Now, Lord, you said this. And what you're doing is now you're actually activating your faith concerning what it is you're believing. But if you're not, well, I'm just believing God, I'll get better. And you don't do anything by say, by his stripes, you were healed. And you do some confession. Then guess what? You're not believing. You just have information. And information will not get you healed. It won't happen. So I say all that to get over into Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Uh, I want to give, uh, this is Paul writing, and um, I want you to see a couple of things that are taking place here to encourage you because for a great awakening to happen in our nation, it has to happen with the church, yeah. right? Now, with that being said, I'm saying a lot of things today that I pray get traction outside of this church body. I say it to you because it will keep you stirred up. Now, if something fits you, then repent. But I'm primarily preaching this because this is something beyond these walls. And you need to be aware of the condition of things that are beyond these walls. All right. As Pastor Marcy said in prayer, very profound, very profound. Uh, uh, this is our first service back since, you know, we've been gone for a, a couple weeks and um, we came back from youth camp. But the first night of youth camp and we were watching these teenagers try to worship God. And when I say try, I mean just that try. They had been out because it's called East Coast Camp for a purpose because there's churches from Maine all the way down to, um, you know, Maryland down to Florida. Now, I don't, can't say any from Maryland actually came this time uh, because there was a few that didn't come at all because they're still shut down. And those particular congregations, I know of one church specifically that allowed their youth pastor to come and a couple of their leaders but would not allow their youth to come because the co some congregation members went to the pastor and said, if you send the youth, we're leaving the church because they'll come back with COVID and we'll all die. Hallelujah. So that group didn't show up. But we realized, wow, these teens have been out of church for about a year. And look how they have fallen. Look how they have fallen. They don't even know what to do. Honestly, Anchor Faith Church is a bubble at this juncture. <laughs> it's not the norm. Now, there are churches like us, don't get me wrong, but we are few. I said we are few in number. And I'm talking globally because, again, you know, with Matt and Angela being here from, you know, Uganda, you know, the way things are being shut down globally speaking. And again, in other parts of the world, the church hasn't been necessary. 
That's why we send missionaries. Because it's not dominant. It's not predominant. It's not, you know, pushing. So the world as a whole is at a deficit, spiritually speaking. But the Bible warns us about these things, and I want you to be aware of it. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are in Laodicea and for all those who have not personally, have not personally seen my face. Now, notice in the first verse here, Paul's having a struggle. And he's having an issue. He's struggling because there's some things going on with the church that he's writing to, the church in Colossia, and the church of Laodicea. And then just believers in general that are connected to these churches, but he hadn't actually seen them. Okay? He says that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together, right? Having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments. So again, Paul starts out this letter. You know, we've gone through the first chapter, right? And he's gotten into this section here that scholars have considered the, you know, second chapter of his letter. And he's talking about the struggle he has because he's wanting to remind them that they've come into something very powerful. But something's coming against the message he has preached. Something's coming in, somebody's talking, somebody is communicating some alternatives to what he ministered. And he tells him in verse 4, I say to you so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments. I'm telling you right now, if there's ever been a time in human in human history since the fall of Adam it is now that demonic deceptive forces are at work to try to persuade the church to do some things differently and he is dealing with this church here which is his letters to the Colossians and another church called Laodicea he says for even verse 5 for even though I'm absent in the body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the dis stability of your faith in Christ. So what's he asking? He said, now listen, somebody's running off at the mouth, but I need you to be disciplined and have stability of your faith where? In Christ. Christ is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah, which is the king who has come and established his kingdom that will not end. He is the anointed one and his anointing. So your faith is in Christ's kingdom. Are you hearing me? He goes on then and says it this way. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now that you've received him, walk in him. I said, now that you've received him, walk. Notice Paul didn't say, now that you received him, just do what you need to do, do whatever you want to do, because when you die, at least you're in. No, he said walk. This word walk means conduct your way of life. Meaning your lifestyle now should become a reflection of this receiving Christ Jesus as Lord. Lord is not a religious word. It means supreme in authority. So Jesus Christ is the king. He came as a suffering servant. He came to save us. And he only came to save us because Adam fell from dominion. If Adam had never fallen from dominion, Jesus never would have had to be Savior because the Word and the Father and the Spirit would have been with humanity in the beginning, just like in the beginning, still roaming the planet, talking to humanity that would have been without spot or wrinkle, would have been blameless, would have been made in the image of God. But when Adam ate the fruit, Sin entered the world. He gave his dominion, his authority, his rule over to Satan, to the devil. And then Jesus said, now I'm going to have to save him. I'm going to have to save him. So Savior is what he did, but Lord is who he is. He's never lost his supreme authority. Can I get an amen? So he tells them that therefore as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 
having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established by your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Man, do you remember the, the time you started to hear about who you were in Christ and how no longer did you have to be subject to the, the, the wiles of the devil and that you didn't have to be defeated and that sickness and disease didn't have to rule you and sin didn't have to rule you and depression didn't have to rule you and no longer did you have to live like the rest of the world that you actually were raised up, seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and all of a sudden you're more than a conqueror. You were always able to conquer in Christ Jesus. When you first heard it, wasn't there such gratitude that, my gosh, I have authority as a believer. I can speak just as Jesus speaks. I can say things in his name, and all of a sudden, what he said comes to pass. Wow. He says, so see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. You know what? Everybody's an expert today. Everybody's an expert. Everybody's got these little titles from these institutions, these pieces of paper on the wall. Some of y'all have them. You display them. Now, there's nothing wrong with your hard work. I have no problem. But if you're putting more faith in some human signature that's considered a president of a university over the king of the universe, we have a problem. You actually have a problem. I don't have a problem. You have a problem. Because you're putting more trust in some man saying something about you than what God has said about you. Because the minute you begin to recognize Dr. So-and-so and expert such-and-such of their field, then it'll be easy for them to draw you away with their empty philosophies. Now, that's going to sound good. It's going it's to feel good, actually. In fact, it will be identifiable to your flesh. Do you know that there are whole clinics of studies that have literally figured sin out. That there are psychologists and psychiatrists that can sit down with an individual and based upon what they say, they can tell them where they're going to go if they don't change. Because why? There's nothing new under the sun. Sin repeats itself. And just because we become well-versed in the direction sin goes, and sin only goes in one direction, it always pays out. The wages of sin is, is death. And they can say, well, because of this, they're going to be here, they're this, and they can speak. You had this thought, and you probably had that thought, and you'd be like, wow, they're reading my mail. You must be, you know, psychic. Wow, they told me everything. You know what? There's nothing new about your flesh. Anybody could almost identify your flesh. But what they don't figure is the power of the blood. Because the blood has power to cut that up, which means I may have been in this direction going towards death, but at a moment I could repent of my sin. I could confess of my sin. I could get the blood applied to my life, and it's as if it never happened, and I move back into a direction called life and life more abundantly, which means there's no way I'll turn out like that because I've got someone else on the inside. Amen. But it goes on and says this, verse 9, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority, and in him you are also circumcised with a circumcised made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead... In your, come on, when you were dead, in your transgression and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of our transgression. What did he do, verse 14? Having canceled out the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us. I like this translation because we got to understand, sin are decrees. They are written. It is a written document that are charges against your life. Yeah. 
See, the Bible's about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring. And so when the devil gets you to sin, he gets you to disobey uh, God's word, command, way of living, and that is sin. It is a charge against your life. I have this against you. Had this unfortunate event take place before I left to go camping. Lots going on. Lots going on. And so, you know, I've been running around quite a bit. And um, one thing that went on, I had a little issue with my Jeep. I had to take it into the shop. They fixed it. We hooked up a little trailer to it to go to Virginia for our uh, youth trip and got all the way to Brunswick and told the guys where there was some coffee for them to stop if they wanted it. My wife and I hit the road because we were in my, uh, another vehicle and we were 40 miles north. And I get this call, something's wrong with the Jeep. That's the last thing I wanted to hear. Then they sent a video, and I didn't want to hear that either. <laughs> Sounded like something was grinding in the back of the rear end. I'm like, are you serious? So my wife and I had to turn around. I did an extra 100 or an extra 80 miles that day. So we came back and had to make the decision. Let's get a U-Haul so we can tow the trailer. Now I got to spin that. And then I'm going to leave it here. Pastor Mike called um, a dealership in town, told them where it's at, so the next day they were going to come and pick it up. Well, the dealership that worked on my vehicle forgot to put fluids in it. <laughs> Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Yep. So I'm without a vehicle. Now, I'm supposed to go camping with my grandkids when I get back from summer camp. And we had to call them and say... Doesn't look good. But Pastor Brandon, being a man of common wealth, said, just take my truck. No problem. So we're like, it's on again. So it's about 9 o'clock at night, running around. Um, prayer. We did prayer with Rama that night. We were going home because we're leaving the next day. And out of nowhere on US-1, I was driving in the fast lane. A lady was in front of me. She decides to go out into the left-hand turn lane like she was going to, into the DMV or the library down close to 206, only to realize that's not the left-hand lane she wants to be in because she wants to go in 206. So she runs through the median marker, runs all the way through the grass, pulls back into my lane, and hits the brake. So I hit the brake. And then I hit her and Pastor Brandon's truck. <laughs> Hallelujah. Man, her tailgate, I mean, her, her little, what is that called? Tailgate, yeah. Well, bumper, no, not the bumper, the trunk. Thank you, that's the word I'm looking for. Her trunk, it's open for good. Yeah, it's open for good. Well, I mean, now, Pastor Brandon's truck didn't look horrible, but it's messed up. In fact, you know, I got some stuff hitting the tire when I'm trying to get off the road, and I'm like, are you, I can, we're not going camping. <laughs> oh, my gosh, what is happening? You know, you're just like, seriously, check with a lady. You okay? She's okay. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> police officer came. She said, now, normally when it's a rear end, it's pretty self-explanatory who's at fault. But in your case, I'm charging her. I said, well, you got that right. Justice did prevail. <laughs> so, you know, Pastor Brandon gets a new bumper now. <laughs> gets a few new things. Um, in fact, we realized his truck's actually going to look a little bit better if we don't put that one piece back on. And um, so that's optional at this point. They'll probably put it on. But no, y'all pray for him. He's in a rental. <laughs> Although, here's the good news. This guy says, your trip's not over. I said, bro. I just got in a wreck with your truck. I mean, he thought I was kidding for the longest time. I'm not kidding. <laughs> this is not a joke. You, this is not a joke. I want it to be a joke so bad, I want to lay hands on the thing right now. But I don't have any scriptural reference right now to be able to pull a bumper out. I don't have anything for me to do that at this juncture. <laughs> Hallelujah. He shows up and he goes, this... Hey, it looks good. I, I said, you should take it anyway. <laughs> I'm like, <"Are> you? no. <laughs> he said, I'm going to pull this out. And he took a, power, uh, a pipe wrench and bent the 
bumper out enough that it wouldn't rub the tire and we took the one piece totally off and he said I, he said you should take it I said you drive it <laughs> and you tell me because I'm not doing it unless you and he took it down the road him and my wife went flying down the road they were going at least a hundred thank God the cops were going no I mean they weren't going that fast <laughs> but he took it down the road to see if it was shaking or anything okay, he said it's fine it's no problem no issue and you know what it wasn't it was basically cosmetic you know barely you know noticeable although in daylight it's more noticeable <laughs> uh, but again because he knows who he serves right because he knows who he serves he's like it's all right so we took it had a great time with our grandkids right why did I say all that not really sure right now we're gonna tell you in a minute though <laughs> there was a decree issued to the woman because she pulled back into my lane and hit the brakes and it was charged to her not to me so sin gets charged it's a charge against you that needs blood to determine to take care of it and he says to us in the 14th verse all that's canceled out these decrees consistent against us which were hostile to us and he take, has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities and he made a public display of them having triumph over them. Right? Triumphing openly over them through Christ. Now, this is a message we know. That Christ died for us. Paid the penalty of sin. That now we sit in the seat of authority with Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That our faith is in the kingdom of God and the king who sits on the throne. That his authority is above all authority. That his rule is above all rule. That his power is above all power. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And we are to seek his kingdom first. Yet Paul in his writing to this church says, man, I'm struggling. And I'm here to remind you of some things because some other things are coming to your ears. We jump over to the fourth chapter of Colossians, starting in verse 12, and he tells him about a friend of his who, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends his greetings. But look what this guy does. He's always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. Do you understand, just because you've had a message preached to you doesn't mean you'll stay in it. And just because you come to Anchor Bay Church that rightly divides the word of truth, that goes line upon line, precept upon precept, that flows with the move of the Spirit, that allows the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation, that wants the full counsel of God, you can still walk away from it. If you don't stay rooted and grounded and disciplined and stay stable. And we're going to give you a sign of what it looks like when you're getting shaky. He says, for I, for I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So... Here's these particular towns, Colossia, and these two other cities are in close proximity. Okay, Laodicea is about six miles north of Colossia, and Hierapolis is on the other side of Laodicea, so kind of in a straight line. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And they have a deep concern. Now, they have the same message that Jesus Christ saved, yet they're concerned about believers. Yeah, the church acts like we're only concerned about the lost. Paul was very concerned about the church and very concerned about what the church is hearing. And even though he knows that they've heard right by him, he's concerned of what they're hearing now. Not only them, but those who are with them are concerned because of what they're hearing. And he has sent a letter now, not only to this church, but to another church because of their deep concern. Now jump down to verse 15. He says, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, which means they're close. I mean, it's like the next town over, right? And then also this person whose church is in her home, and that doesn't mean you should have church in your home. Church can start in a home, but it should grow, outgrow your house. All right, that's false. 
that people say, well, I see the church, you just stay in the house. Well, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> okay, verse 16. When this letter is read among you, this one we're reading now, he says, have it also read to the church of Laodicea. So this Laodiceans, they got this letter. So if you actually read all four chapters, you know what the church received from this letter. Then he says, and for you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from. Now, here's the thing. I don't know what letter came from. We don't have the book of Laodicea. We don't know what Paul said to them. That then this church heard. But we do know what the Laodiceans heard from this letter and what he was warning. Now, why is this important? Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea. Now, this is written by John the apostle who has been exiled to Patmos because the kingdom of God is under great persecution. The citizens of the kingdom are. And they've tried to kill John along, you know, they killed Peter. They've killed, they're kill, they kill Paul. You know, he's martyred as well. And John, they try to kill and they can't. They bullied him in oil and he still came out. Now, you understand why it's hard to kill John. I can tell you why it's hard to kill John. It'd be, always be hard to get to you. John, when he wrote his gospel, he says, the one whom you loved. John was the love apostle. He knew how to maintain his love walk. See, when you can maintain a love walk, very few things can get to you. Now, they can come after you. They can try to get on you, but it can't have an effect on you because you walk in the love of God. All right? So it says we get now here to this point where the Lord, in this time period, that this church is ex existing. There are seven churches that we get letters. Two of them, he has no bad report. But five of them, he's got an issue. I said he has an issue. And what has this church heard? We know the Colossian letter. We know they know about Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave. We know that they know about how his blood has canceled once and for all all of sin. We know how they know about Christ as the Messiah. We know that they know about their authority in Christ. We know that they know these things. And then, because Jesus, who is the head of the church, who's building this church, is in the middle of them. In fact, if you go back to a couple chapters, it says Jesus was in the midst which means he was personally present in the congregation, seeing what's going on. He says this. He says, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds and that you are not neither hot, cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, before I read any further, I want to go over to a Greek scholar by the name of Rick Renner, and he says this concerning churches. He said, today, the church is facing a crisis of morals. More and more society has no stomach for spiritual or moral absolutes. Pastors and spiritual leaders who decide to take a stand and preach the gospel in its pure unadulterated form are derided or irrelevant and intolerant hate mongers. The public reaction to biblical truth is often so adverse that many pastors are hesitant to take strong positions on issues of morality, even though these truths are clearly stated in the word of God. Rather, they answer difficult moral questions. They are tempted to dodge the questions and skirt around the issues in an attempt to avoid conflict. Does that sound like today? He said, in the pulpits and congregations around the world, truth is being watered down and altered to reflect the inclusive values of a changing culture. In many congregations, pure sound doctrine has been completely replaced by soft, feel-good messages, and the majority of people in the pews are ignorant of even the most elementary tenets of faith. Maybe you came from one. Maybe that's why you're seeking where you need to be. 
Maybe because you're hungry for something. He said, despite their ability to communicate masterfully, men or many modern-day ministers lack a basic education and fundamental biblical principles or have simply chosen to avoid teaching sound doctrine in favor of more popular motivational messages. To be direct, it appears that some have been duped into taking a politically correct position on many biblical truths instead of declaring truth because the truth would put them on a collision course with the society that surrounds them. This drift away from the Bible has created a doctrinal vacuum in the church, a void currently being filled with dynamic business ideas, financial advice, and motivational messages instead of the Word of God that the Holy Spirit is bound to honor with signs and wonders. Unfortunately, he said, we are currently, we currently see and feel um, is only the beginning of the rift that is developing within the church world. Unless a major revival occurs, this rift will only grow deeper and wider. If repentance doesn't melt the hearts of people throughout the church world, it will eventually seem like there are three churches. Church number one, a church that holds fast to the truth and faces the brunt of opposition because it refuses to bend. Welcome to Anchor Faith Church. A church in the middle trying to ride the fence through accommodation in order to avoid persecution and societal rejection. You can see that in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. Or a lukewarm, Laodicean-like church that has allowed compromise to run its full course, stripping it completely of the power of God and leaving Jesus standing on the outside. In 2020, one event has begun to identify these three churches. One event. He said, listen, early believers endured bullying, ridicule, imprisonment, and were even put to death because they refused to conform to the world that surrounded them on all sides. Although some believers collapsed under this pressure, many steadfastly resisted this uh, coercion, uh, to conform and held fast to their faith. God has always had his remnant. Those who will not bow to external pressures. In these last times, God will have the remnant once again, and those who refuse to fear or to compromise their faith in Jesus Christ will experience previously unknown levels of the power of God as a result of their commitment to stand by truth. The reason why Matt could get up here and feel like he has to preach, I'm not sure if he says that everywhere, but I do know there's a tangible anointing right here. And I sensed it when I came back. I'm telling you, I don't even want to leave the pulpit, but I do realize that I need to deliver some things. In fact, I had a youth tell me after the prayer at Ramah because Pastor Lynette got up and said, now I need you to pray. And she pointed at us, y'all, those who were here, you know who it was. She said, Anchor Faith Church, now your pastor is going to be preaching, so you better be praying this over him. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 to 19, that, he, that God would give us boldness. Yeah. Boldness to speak. And I had a teenager come up and said, I heard in the spirit that when you minister this year, it will have global influence. Amen. I believe it. I'm sensing wherever I'm going because why? We decided we were going to just believe the word because the word said it. Because the word said it. Before I finish Revelations chapter 3, I want to go back over to the book of Colossians real quick, just so I can read this to you, so you can hear it for yourself. He starts out the fourth chapter this way, masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keep an alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving praying at the same time for us as well that God will open for us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. 
Paul knows what he's talking about when he says, don't go into empty philosophies. He's saying, I'm in jail today because I didn't bend. I didn't compromise because someone told me I couldn't. No, I stood even if it cost me imprisonment. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And there were some pastors during 2020 that decided, well, you just have to take us to jail. And we, there was parts, there was church community people that were like, wow, why can't they just obey their government? Well, why don't you obey God's government? Now, at the end of the day, I get it. I'm not here to talk to everybody. There may be, I'm being honest with you, God probably told some congregations to go because there wouldn't have been enough faith for them to resist anyway. God knows where his people are at at the end of the day, and he wants them safe. And if they're not getting any preaching that would allow them to stand the issues that are going on in the world, then you know what? It's better for you to separate, but not so that you don't actually grow. But for this house, the Lord says, continue to course. Because if the government deems my preschool able to be open Monday through Friday, then make no mistake about it, I can have you assemble on Sunday and Wednesday. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And this is not like, oh, is God doing something just because we're special? No, God always is looking for those who will not bend or cower. Now, why is this important? Let's go back to Revelations. Because I'm telling you, you've got to have a backbone in the last days. Now, love's got to be what pushes you through. Don't get me wrong. I remember when the news people called and wanted to interview me about my position. I said, that's fine. But God gave me wisdom. I said, you can interview me. It's just not going to be on a Sunday because that's when I'm preaching. You can come on a Monday. But I'll have my camera in with the interview. Because you know what they're going to do. They're going to slice and dice my words up to fit their little 30-minute segment to hit their own personal uh, way that they want to present me. And that's how the world will per- perceive me, especially if they give a little tweet headline. Church in St. Augustine resists local ordinances. Interview. Oh, so all you think is I just resist. I'm not resisting. I'm not resisting. But they didn't make that meeting. <laughs> Hallelujah. But then the Lord talked to our governor, and that made it even easier. But at the end of the day, what if our governor wouldn't have? Because if you think the door stayed open because our governor did it. He says, because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, when we hear this, you know, most of us, we are equated with what lukewarm is, right? And, um, you know, about the only thing lukewarm that I will even stomach most of the time is coffee. You know, I won't drink it cold. Um, I don't care for it cold at all. Um, So iced coffee does nothing for me. I will let it go lukewarm because sometimes I forget where it's at, then I go to it, and I'm like, I still got a little bit left, I'm going to finish it, right? And then you kind of swig it, and you're like, ah! It's not like when it was hot, and I went, mm. It's more like, There's a difference. I said, there's a difference. Are you hearing me? But the reason why this is important, this particular church was in a region that was built, that had a lot of seismic activity. So in Hierapolis, they had hot springs because of the seismic activity. This is geographically what took place, okay, in this part of the country where these cities existed. And so if you, they believed that if someone went and sat in the hot springs because of the nutrient, you know, the minerals that were in it that were coming up, you know, from the volcanic, you know, um, underneath that it had um, healing properties to it. But then if you go over to Colossia, they had spring water and it was cold. And so if you wanted to be refreshed from the heat or, you know, just have a refreshing, they would go over to Colossia and they would jump in those cold springs. 
but Laodicea was right in the middle. Now here's the thing, Laodicea was one of the biggest and richest cities in the area, but it had neither hot nor cold water. Therefore, the people of Laodicea had to leave their luxurious homes and travel to Colossia if they wanted to enjoy uh, fresh, cold water or refreshing, be refreshed. On the other hand, they would have to, they desired to smoke in the, uh, soak in the hot uh, springs, they had to travel six miles to Hierapolis. Okay? So, what happened was, is that they decided, since they were wealthy, let's build a six-mile pipeline from the hot springs to our city. And it was quite, a, you know, a feat. They did it. So, here comes the hot water, leaving Hierapolis, right? But by the time it got to Laodicea, it had cooled. Not only did it cool, it started to stink. Because when those minerals that weren't activated with the heat, it put off the smell. And it was nasty. So it became a bad idea. So when he tells them that you're neither hot nor cold, he knew what they were talking about. And he says, you're lukewarm, just like that water you tried to pump into your community when you tasted it, you couldn't stomach it. He says, I can't stomach you. Now, I don't want to be part of a church that he says I can't stomach. Now, look, he says, because you say I am what? Rich and have become wealthy and have need of. Do you know what? There's a, a, a message that is part of God's kingdom that he will prosper you. But it seems like some believers, all they want to do is be blessed. Have all their needs met to where they have no want. And if you don't know why you have the blessing, then you're going to run a risk because you're not going to know what to do with your wealth. They didn't have any. He said, and you do not know that you are a wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So they're living in nice homes with every need met, but God says you're wretched, blind, and naked. Which tells us when people come and have a lot of stuff a lot of time and say, look how God's blessed me, the question is, is how are you actually responding? Because your blessing is not necessarily indication of where you are with God. Because unless I can determine whether you're hot or cold, you could be lukewarm and God says you naked. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, I'm not dealing with just natural things, but he goes on and tells them, he says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and garments, white garments, so that you may clothe yourself so that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and the eye uh, salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. In essence, what did they hear from the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian church? Don't let somebody come in here and deceive Receive you. That there's a whole different way to live that pulls you out of your whole place of responsibility and authority. And all of a sudden now you're just going to live a comfortable life, blessed. And you're neither hot nor cold. Meaning, you don't have enough word in you to refresh someone when you get around them. And you don't have enough power of God in you to heal them and lay hands on them and bring healing to their life. You either got to be hot or cold. You need to have both hot and cold in your life. You need to be a person that's refreshing. Someone that when they get around, you're not sucking them dry. You're not bringing them down. You're not sapping their life. You got to be hot, passionate for the things of God so that, man, you become a healing bomb to everybody that they're like, man, I know exactly where that person stands. But if you're like, I don't, they seem like a nice person. God's running to the bathroom over your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He goes on and says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and... So what's he saying? What I'm saying, I love you. But you know, we're preaching stuff today that we can't even talk about people getting right. Churches today aren't even preaching things where people get right. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
Jesus was saying to them, he says, because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. This is a message that carries a strong punch. He was telling them because you have become dead, so dead, dull, sickening, and nauseating because no spiritual refreshing waters flow from you and you have no healing properties left, I will spew you out of my mouth. Now, how do I know if somebody's lukewarm? Church is an option. Church is an option. Okay, great. Hallelujah. I thought this was for outside this body. <laughs> he said, because you've lost your temperature and become lukewarm, because no refreshing waters flow out of you, you have no healing properties left. Wow. He said, I find your taste in my mouth to be disgusting. I can't bear it anymore. I have no choice but to spit you out. Look at this next verse, though. That's the, that's the Renner interpretive version, Okay. But as it goes on, it, it, it ends positive, and so let's be positive. He said, because you say I am rich, right? So he goes on and says this, verse, nine, uh, verse 21. He says, he who overcomes, or verse 20, he says this, behold, I stand at the door. You know what? We use this scripture for lost people all the time, the Lord standing at the door. He was not talking to lost people when he was standing at the door. He was talking to his own church. He's like, I should actually be on the inside with you, but you've put me outside. I mean, my word should be a part of your life, but you've allowed philosophy. You've allowed deception. You've allowed business people to come and give you their three points on how to get wealthy and rich in our society. Well, what good is it a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You let motivational speakers in there tell you how to have your best life ever. You letting people just pop up in there, and yet I'm outside the door. And since I'm outside the door, my spirit can't be up in there because he can't conform, confirm anything you're saying. And in these last days, both Peter and Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy, tells us that in the last days, these types of congregations are going to be around. So you got to make a decision. Are you going to draw your, a line in the sand in your spiritual life and say, I refuse to bend, to break, to, to conform back to something. I am going to be this person that always stays hot when I need to be hot or cold when I need to be cold, but I refuse to be lukewarm because just because you know a message doesn't mean you'll always live a message. And this gospel of Jesus Christ in the U.S. has turned into the gospel of America. Instead of realizing that, man, we've got something to do. Oh, he said, he who overcome, verse 20, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in to him and dine with him and he'll be with me. And he who overcomes, I'll grant with him. Look what he gives us. I'll grant him to sit. <sighs> Glory to God. To sit down with me on my throne. Thrones are in kingdoms, not in religions. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit of the church is saying. So how does this relate to you today? Let me ask this question. Have you become so distracted and disconnected between your soul and your spirit that when the revelation word, when the revelation word is sown into your heart, by the time it makes its way up to your mind, it becomes only information or lukewarm. There is a distance between your spirit and your soul. How do I know there's a difference? Because the Bible tells us in Matthew that the word of God, the seed, you know, the parable of the sower, he said it's the word of the kingdom. It when it's sown into the man's heart. So everything is spiritually discerned. It isn't naturally. Now, I come from the teaching, and there's not a negative side to this, but we must keep it in context. It says, well, you want to meditate on the word till it drops down in your spirit. Revelation can never show up till it's in your spirit. I would say it this way, that the word always hits your spirit, comes up to your mind. You've got to meditate on it till you renew it so that you recognize that which hit here first is more truth than what I'm thinking right here. Then when it drops back down to your spirit, in essence, when it drops back down, drops back down, in essence, you're saying, I agree with you, spirit. That's how I'm supposed to think, and I believe it that way and that way only. 
because a lot of times we'll get something sewn here and by the time it makes its way up to here, you got so much clutter in your pipeline because you've Googled so many doctors about your condition. You have gone so many reports about defining it. You've looked at so many government officials. You've done so much to look at your race and your uh, educational background, so much information. By the time that revelation, when that pastor preaches it or that person at your work tells you the word of God, by the time it hits you, it's lukewarm and it's just information and it's not revelation. That you're rejecting it. Ah, that ain't for me. God's not a respecter person. His word works for everybody. All you have to do is believe. I said all you got to do is what? All you got to do is what? You got to believe. Got to believe. In these last days, we're seeing more and more lukewarm. Now, they can quote scripture like you, but so does the devil. Like I'm supposed to be impressed. The devil's full of information. Full of information. Doesn't it also say in the word? When he tempted Jesus? It's not like he's ignorant of the word of God. No, he studies it. Why? Because he's trying to thwart it. He's trying to end it. In fact, the very first sin that ever entered the planet was because the devil knows the power of the word. He's, what did he say to Eve? He says, has God not said you can't eat from any tree of the garden? She said, no. What he said is that I can eat from any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I cannot eat for the day I eat, I die. He said, ah, that's the word I needed to hear. Now that I know it, let me say this. You're not going to die. It's just not going to happen. Because God knows the day you eat it, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. So the devil's well-versed with Scripture. The reality is, is how is their lifestyle forming and living with the Word? He said in Colossians, he said, now that you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Now, we're all on different places with our walk with God. Maybe God's not dealt with you about a particular thing yet. But eventually, he's going to deal with stuff that will hinder you. He will always deal with your sin. And then when he takes care of your sin problem, he'll come over and talk to you about your weights. Now, what's a weight? Have you read Hebrews chapter 12? He said, let us lay aside every sin and weight that so easily besets you. These are just bad habits or habits you have that will hinder the full manifestation of God's power in your life. It's not a sin, but it's definitely a hindrance. And it's amazing how many believers want to see how close to sin and how much sin that they can dip down and be a part of to conform because they want to compromise because I don't want the world to persecute me. So if I say my stance on sexual orientation, if I put my stance on race relation, if I begin to talk about what real justice is, if I begin to say what you should do with your money, See, the tithe, you don't get to know where your money goes because that's the Lord's. And he tells you exactly what it is. But if you want to hold it and say, well, Pastor, you got a program, you got something I can give to you, something I want to give to you specifically, and then you see it manifest, well, you feel good about yourself. But if you've not tithed, you ain't done jack. Because let me just tell you honestly what's happening. The devil sees you giving, so then he gives you more business after you give it that way, which is the wrong way. It's not the God way. And he gets you deceived that you're getting blessed with a seed that's in his field and not in God's. Because the tithe is the Lord's, and there's no other giving until the tithe is met. But that's a little bold. It's a little controversial. Even in the church. But as I said, Anchor Faith Church is not going to compromise. You should tithe off your business. You should tithe off your personal account. Well, I ain't seen the Lord say it. The Lord said literally to the Pharisees, 
You tithe the mint, the deal, all these things, but you forgot love, justice, and mercy, and righteousness. He said that you should have done the latter three without neglecting the former. Which means don't neglect the tithe. But at the end of the deal, even if he tells you, you're still not going to do it. Because as long as you have a love affair with money. And that's why seek first the kingdom. 633 started with 624. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Can't do it. You know what really upsets me the most about that knowledge as a pastor? Is how truly wealthy they could be. Think about it. Jesus tells an extremely wealthy guy, young guy. He comes to him and says, hey, man, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You're just a good teacher. He said, no one's good except from the Father. He said, yeah, what do I need to do? He said, well, just keep the commandments, man. You know, and he says, throws a couple off top of his head, Jesus does. And he says, I've done that since I was you. He said, yeah, 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 yeah. He didn't say, no, you haven't. He didn't rebuke him. He said, no, you've done it. Yeah. He said, there's one thing you lack. Because I know who's really. See, what you're doing is you're making the decisions of when you do these things. So you're actually following something other than me. You take my word and you use it to your advantage while you live your own life following another entity. Said, now look what he says. Jesus says, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Now, do you really think that if he sold everything, that the king of the universe is going to say, you just broke. You're a sucker. Boy, you're an idiot. Now, we know what it means to give to a king. We have an account of it actually in the Old Testament because the Queen of Sheba, she was royalty and she showed up at Solomon's house and she brought so much wealth to his house like nobody before, especially in spices. But if you read the rest of it, it says he opened up his treasuries and sent back with her more than what she brought to him. You can't outgive the king. What's it say in Luke? Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure. Press down. Shaking together. And what? You'll always get way more than you ever give. But it requires faith. So, you have to ask yourself the question in closing. Has the time period between when this revelation knowledge hits you and you let it mull over in your mind, do you let it rotate so much that it becomes lukewarm and not revelation anymore? And this is anything. Because I'm talking to people that I know have studied the Word, graduated from our little Bible school, and yet is the trials of life clouded your conduit so much that those things run around in your mind more than the Word of God? And that by the time God begins to try to speak to you about your situation, it's so lukewarm, it's just information in you and you disregard it. For many of you, God's even given the answer, but when it got to you in the soul realm, in your thinking realm, to change your thinking where you can repent. Repentance starts in the mind. It doesn't start in the spirit because when you were dead in your trespasses of sin, your spirit man would never change its thinking. It had to be eliminated from your skin suit. But your soul had the ability, when your spirit was dead, separated from God, your soul had the ability to say, I'm going to change my thinking and go God's way about this thing. And the minute you acknowledge Jesus as Lord, he eliminated that spirit man who could not hear him and put a brand new species of being on the inside of you, a new creature in Christ, that now got tapped up to your soul and says, son, I'm going to change the way you think. Because the Holy Ghost comes in and says, I got a direct line. It's a very short distance now between me and them to tell them about God. And so the minute it comes alive and you're like, wow, that's it. You need to say, I'll do it. And yeah, it's going to look hot. 
Some words are going to come. It's going to be like cold. It'd be very refreshing. But you got to act on it right then. Because if you let it just mill through your mind and begin to, well, you know, I'm not. By the time it rolls around enough, the revelation will turn into information, and information will not change your life. And you become lukewarm. That's why people will get up like this on a Sunday morning and say, well, should I go to church and be with all those other believers? So they develop this empty philosophy. I don't need them anyway. I mean, I'm right with God. God lives in my heart. I can pray here at the house. I can read. Yet you violate scripture when it says, the hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. And let me just tell you, the pastor is not at home. Pastor's not at home. The fivefold ministry gifts are not at home. They're in the church. Where believers assemble. This is where I know that then in your personal life, lukewarm's there. And right now, in churches that I know actually preach the word, they're saying about 50% of our congregation are back. Where did they go? They're at their homes with their bills paid, food at home, still got their jobs. They become very comfortable, have no want, and say, Pastor, I'll just join you online. I don't need anything. I'm good. And the Lord says, you don't know you're naked. Because if you're afraid to leave your house and come assemble with God's people, then the devil has, will have no problem taking you out. If you can't even have enough faith to go to church. Yet those same people have enough faith to go to work. So then who are they really following? The paycheck? Or the king? He who has ears, let him hear. Thanks again so much for listening to this episode. If you'd like to get more of our content, you can subscribe wherever you're listening, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. You can also watch our weekend messages at youtube.com forward slash anchor faith when they air every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Subscribe to us so you never miss a message and leave us a comment or a like. It really does help. You sharing, rating, and commenting on this podcast and any of our content is the best way to keep it in circulation for others to be influenced with this message of God's kingdom. So please consider sending a link to friends and family, sharing on social media, or simply giving us a rating. And finally, if you'd like more information about Anchor Faith Church and support the work we're doing from St. Augustine, Florida in igniting the city, impacting the nation, and influencing the world, you can visit us at anchorfaith.com.